yes, we're out here, you know, like engaging in environmental science, but also we're engaging in our culture, we're engaging in traditions, knowledge systems that have been in place since forever. Every native person needs water. Every person, native or non-native, needs water. And that's what kind of led me to this research and why it's so important. I think to listen to indigenous people about water rights, water resources, because we're the original environmentalists of this land. It's just like when we think about what colonization really stood for, it was the purposeful erasure of native peoples and, and their cultures. So to be able to bring that ceremony back is kind of like the ultimate resistance against that. And I think it's time for non-Native people to listen to us for a change. Welcome to Challenging Colonialism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Indigenous California. An important note from the start, the producers are two white male educator academics, and these are not our stories. This podcast will center Native voices, and our intention is to highlight the significant work being done by Indigenous communities to challenge ongoing colonialism and to broadcast information about the resistance and resilience of Indigenous California in the past, the present, and the future. A final note before we begin, this podcast may contain graphic descriptions of slavery, genocide, and sexual violence. Welcome to the final part of Challenging Colonialism's third episode, Weapons of Mass Destruction, Dams and Colonization. We conclude our four-part series on dam removals with the currently unfolding story from our local watershed. This podcast is produced in Santa Cruz, California, which is the ancestral home of the Awaswa-speaking Ohlone peoples. Today, these lands are tended by their closest relatives, the Amamutsan Tribal Band. Part four, The Salmon Return, focuses on the removal of the Mill Creek Dam, which was accomplished in 2020 by a coalition of the Amamutsan Land Trust sometime mentioned in this episode as the AMLT, UCLA's Center for Diverse Leadership in Science, called CDLS in this episode, the Semper Virens Fund, who arranged for the purchase and preservation of the land, and the Amamutsan Tribal Band themselves. The land of Mill Creek occupies the unceded lands of the Uipi tribe of the Waswa-speaking Ohlone peoples, part of a larger indigenous homeland known as Popeleochum, this land is cared for today by the Amamutsan Tribal Band. We'll hear from Carolyn Rodriguez, Stephen Pratt, Elijah Catalan, and Mike Crone as they discuss the removal of the Mill Creek Dam and the work being done to survey the creek's response to the removal. In Mill Creek, salmon were observed upstream within a few months of the removal, and we'll also hear about a recent Amamutsan ceremony and its impact on participants. And we're also pleased to share the voice of Lakota graduate student, Josh Little, giving additional context to indigenous relationships to water in the Western United States. So hello, I'm Carolyn Rodriguez. I am an Amla Mudson tribal member. Um, currently, I'm a PhD student at UCLA um, in education, social research methodology. So I'm a second year PhD student um, before that, I got my master's at UCLA in American Indian Studies. So the Mill Creek Dam um, 
In the Santa Cruz Mountains, this specific creek is where um, the salmon in the area would basically swim upstream. Part of the creek, there's been like a dam that's been blocking the salmon from moving forward. Mainly for the creek itself, it's it's an important lifeway for the salmon and how like our ancestors, those living in the Santa Cruz Mountain, like they had access to that creek. And so they you know, would take care of the salmon and like take care of the water. At UCLA, um, there's the Center for Diverse Leadership in Science. Val had mentioned it to me that, you know, there's people at UCLA and that we're thinking of collaborating and like having them support the Alma and Land Trust. For my research study also, like I was kind of, I'm interested in not only participating to support the, like within the project itself, but also I was like looking at partnerships and how like we can collaborate together. I feel like that's kind of what I focus on is basically how CDLS, how they formed this partnership with the tribe. My name is Elijah Catalan. I'm a second year PhD student in the Institute of Environment and Sustainability at UCLA. Um, I'm also an early career fellow with the Center for Diverse Leadership in Science, which is partnering with the Amundsen uh, Land Trust to um, build a model for um community engagement and partnership in um, environmental monitoring and science. And what my main research focus is, is using environmental DNA to monitor um, ecological restoration and coastal habitats, as well as partnering in that with community members and indigenous tribes. We've been working with the Almost Land Trust for about a year now, um, but the, the relationship is still very nascent. So that's kind of how I came into UCLA was the relationship was just starting and we were um, trying to develop different research projects or collaborative projects that we could work on together. And so we had had been meeting for a while and then um, some of the tribal members had described this uh, dam that was set to be removed as a part of ecological restoration. My name is Mike Brown. I'm currently the Associate State Archaeologist of the Santa Cruz State Parks District. And prior to that, I was working with the Alamutin Land Trust in a variety of capacities. I'm an archaeologist by training. I did my dissertation at UC Berkeley, working with the Land Trust, doing a collaborative historical ecological research project on the Santa Cruz coast. So we did the cultural resource surveys in the, at the late spring of 2021. We did some environmental DNA collection, I think late summer prior to the dam being removed and then the dam was removed sometime in early October and then after that we've gone back and done additional sampling the same locations that we took prior samples and we're actually gearing up to do another round of sampling in the next couple of weeks here. My experience participating in this was uh, one of tremendous learning you know as an archaeologist I've worked with the tribe I've worked with other tribes in California in, in most depth with the Yamamotsin. And there has been this push to extend and expand their stewardship of cultural and natural resources to the sea, to marine resources, to shoreline resources. And this is like a huge stepping stone and tangible thing, like tangible, visible outcome of participating and leading those stewardship efforts. How Josh Thunder Little Amachiapolo. Hey everyone, my name is Josh Thunder Little. Uh, currently I'm a graduate student or 
PhD student in history at University of California, Riverside. I also did my undergrad at UCR, uh, double major in history and Native American studies, uh, continued on the state of the graduate school and work on Lakota water sovereignty. So on my dad's side, I'm Oglala Lakota and also Gabrielinho. That's uh, my grandma was Gabrielinho and then my grandfather was from Pine Ridge. He was Lakota. And then on my mom's side, I'm also Mexican and white. I uh, grew up in Palm Springs, California, on the Agua Caliente Band of Cuya Indians Reservation. Uh, my grandma's first husband was from Agua Caliente, so that's why I grew up in California. Growing up out here, I do know a few things on the West Coast. Um, just to mention, I know there's a water rights case with the Agua Caliente Band of Cuya Indians. It wasn't so much of a dam, but the depletion of the water in the aquifer that is over in the Palm Springs area, and there's been some, you know, recent uh, water rights case and the was it Coachella Valley water district that the tribe was you know taking the court and working within can't speak too much on that I know there's a few tribal members uh, my sister listened to uh, one tribal member uh, my sister Jade she was at UC Davis and it was I believe Moreno Potencio who had tuned in on her class and spoke a little bit about that and then I was just looking up the other day about the Winnemum Wintu and how they are experiencing issues with dams in relation to salmon. And they're unable to, you know, keeping with the traditions of their food and the abundance of their lifestyle, as they already done, you know, prior to United States um, contact. And then also more up directly in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, my brother currently lives in Portland and was at the Columbia River and also the damming up there, which then impacted also the salmon and which is their, you know, food life's uh, resources that they've been practicing, you know, since time immemorial. So these issues of water, um, it's not amongst all tribes, but there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn. But I think one big overarching similarity that can be said is that it's our way of life. It's intricate and it's tied into our ceremonies and it's tied into how we sustain our diets as Native people. Every Native person needs water. Every person, Native or non-Native, needs water. And that's what kind of led me to this research and why it's so important. I think to listen to indigenous people about water rights, water resources, because we're the original environmentalists of this land. Mill Creek Dam project for me was uh, a very exciting and interesting project to be involved in, both the dam removal, uh, the environmental DNA sampling that I'll talk a little bit more about, uh, that, that the land trust and uh, some members of a lab at UCLA conducted, along with some integrative cultural resource survey done prior to the removal of the dam. It's really exciting to, as an archaeologist to be involved in this integrative project, very applied contemporary relevance. Working as the manager of the Coastal Stewardship Program, we were developing a number of different monitoring projects along the coast from San Mateo all the way down to Monterey, kind of just restore a combination of native stewardship and also access of tribal people to a lot of these coastal places. So we got involved with the Mill Creek Dam through Semper Virens, and we were working collaboratively with CLA and the Land Trust. My understanding of the dam was that, you know, like other dams in the area, it was introduced in the early 1900s and kind of went defunct after the, the mining became defunct. And it sat there blocking the waterway and collecting a lot of sediment especially relevant for thinking about things like salmon restoration. You know, salmon require open rivers to, to migrate upstream and spawn. Um, that tributary, uh, Mill Creek, that feeds into San Vicente Creek, 
is especially important in that it provides really cold water almost year-round because it's fed by this underground limestone karst system. Dams, they change the habitat very, very uh, drastic. Um, a lot of sediment will be trapped behind the dam. And then um, salmon, since they go out to the ocean every year and then come back, uh, the dam serves as a barrier for their movement and it um, limits their range and in, in their natural habitat. And they also, since the water isn't flowing anymore, it tends to heat up. Um, so we heard about the dam being set to re be removed. We thought it would be a good first project for us to teach them environmental DNA. And since they were going to be monitoring the habitat anyway, um, using their cultural monitoring surveys, uh, we could collaborate and compare our results um, and teach each other these methods through looking at this project by seeing it, whether the salmon and the fish communities changed after the dam was removed. Uh, there are kind of countless different ways that, that dams impact watersheds. You know, you could think all the way downstream to when rivers meet the ocean and they provide this abundance of nutrients. Salmon, which are an anadromous fish, meaning they go from freshwater to saltwater back to freshwater, back to the same stream they were born. And if, they're, if that area is dammed, they can't get past that dam and, and spawn. And they're generally when salmon return home to spawn, they die afterwards and all of the nutrients in their bodies that have been collected from the sea, from all the time they spent at sea feeding, are released back into that creek, which feed the root networks of trees. And so it disrupts a, a traditional cultural practice of, of, you know, harvesting salmon during salmon runs. And so it disrupts all these, these natural cycles and also, it disrupts the not just uh, people's relationships to salmon as a food source, but in my understanding, working with the the tribal band, it, their their kind of ceremonial relationships and deeper ties to land and sea that's disrupted as well in the disruption of salmon being able to move freely and rivers being able to flow freely. We were working with uh, this lab at UCLA, the specialty of this lab, which is environmental DNA sampling. The grad student doing most of the work was Elijah Catalan, and they came and joined us on a couple separate occasions, and I think they're going to continue to take environmental DNA samples at Mill Creek. So we took bagged water in these sterile bags, and that water is then processed through a filter, and just like you know, humans shed hair and skin, Animals and any organism in an environment is shedding DNA. And in watersheds, that DNA can be collected in a water sample, and it can give you a sort of sense of presence absence of whether a certain species has been in that watershed. So we took samples, a couple samples above the dam prior to it being removed, a couple more samples below the dam. We took another set of samples out at the river mouth where, you know, below where Mill Creek meets San Vicente, all the way out at the Pacific Ocean. And that gave us a sense prior to the dam removal of what the extent of coho and steelhead populations were in the, in the creek so that we could have a baseline once the dam was removed to go back and do additional sampling and see if coho and or steelhead have extended their range further up Mill Creek beyond where the the dam was uh, previous. If, if the removal of the dam basically uh, was effective at opening up this corridor for, for salmon to migrate further up the creek.
Uh, I think this is like super important with biodiversity science and ecological monitoring, especially with indigenous tribes, because it's some large number, like um, 80 or 90 percent of biodiversity is on uh, indigenous lands. So it's, it's really important for them to kind of take the lead, especially with their um, ways of knowing that are much older and much more ingrained in their environments to um, have them involved with, with the monitoring of these habitats. I'm still a young scientist, so I've been learning kind of these methods um, as I've been working on this project as well. We don't, we don't know what the um, fish communities are based on the eDNA samples yet, um, but concurrently the um, landowners, sempervirens, as well as the um, ombudsman with their land trust have been uh, doing monitoring surveys so we can tell kind of how the um, environment has changed and what they've been observing so far to give us kind of a preliminary idea before we actually sequence the um, eDNA samples, which we'll start doing this winter. When we first started monitoring the site was April of this year and the actual dam site after looking at it this past week has actually changed uh, a whole lot. There were like big pools of water um, and there was a ton of sediment trapped behind the dam before Um, but now that's all gone and it's kind of cleared away to this um, new kind of gravel habitat which is really good for um, salmon spawning. Sempervirens is since they're in charge of the actual dam removal they've actually observed some salmon past where the Mill Creek Dam used to be for the first time, which is really exciting. We weren't really sure what the timeline would be of the recovery of the river. Um, and it's very variable and it can, like a bunch of factors can influence the salmon returning and what the fish communities look like. So we really had no idea what time scale they would, they would come back. So it's really heartening to hear that they are past um, the dam. And I hope that the, the EDNA results reflect that. Um, for example, um, we're learning a lot with environmental DNA. So eDNA, basically um, CDLS is teaching us how to collect water samples. And so it's like we have this method of collecting water samples, extracting the DNA, which the DNA tells us the story of the water, its health, which then impacts the life ways for the salmon. And so we basically came together where it was like CDLS was like, okay, we're here to support you. We're here to teach you what we know, but we also want you to have your own agency to where you're leading the project and you're pushing things forward. And so that's when we kind of started working with the Mill Creek and and then the dam removal. Having access to more information, you know, kind of linking traditional resource management, traditional indigenous knowledge and ecological knowledge with modern ecological science and seeing how they can they can benefit each other, they can improve each other and uh, affirm one another in many ways, I think is a, is a true victory of this whole integrative approach to this dam removal. Yes, we're out here, you know, like engaging in environmental science, but also we're engaging in our culture, we're engaging in traditions, knowledge systems that have been in place since forever. And so it's like, we're, we're, in a space to where we're prioritizing indigenous knowledge, utilizing current research methods, and basically creating research, you know, knowledge from this study that is going to be benefited, like it's going to benefit the tribe. And it's going to benefit like our um, relation with the water, with the creek, with the salmon. For me, you know, as a young adult, and like there's elders and like other people that are older than me, like my family members that are 
you know, we're barely learning about the salmon migration process and we're barely learning about like salmon ceremonies that are how our ancestors prayed and take care of the salmons. And so for us, we're bringing back these traditions and we're basically, you know, like that's feel like that's kind of my goal with the study is to, while we do this knowledge, I mean, do this research, create this knowledge that the knowledge gets back to the community. And to me, that's my own like personal concern because I want to make sure that, you know, future gener that this knowledge is going to be there for future generations and that we're going to continue on with our like spirituality of protecting the land, water, the salmon, since I feel like that at the end of the day is what we're striving for. And I would say the CDLS collaborators, like they're well aware of how important this work is to us. Like they, I can see it myself, just how they themselves are also like can have this connection to taking care of the land and supporting us and being a good ally. That's why I felt like this project is just amazing. The support that AMLT is getting and it's just, I feel like it's just the beginning of like future work that can be done that at the end of the day support the tribe. My name is Stephen Pratt. I'm a member of the Amamutsun Tribal Band, and I'm also a steward with the Amamutsun Land Trust. I've been a steward since uh, about 2018, and I'm currently inactive because I am a student at Cabrillo College. I'm studying environmental science and focusing in marine science, and I plan to utilize this knowledge that I'm working on to bring it back to the tribe to work on our coastal stewardship program. In November of 2021, I joined my tribe's Amamutsun Travel Band in a salmon ceremony. This was in response to the removal of the dam in Mill Creek to invite the salmon back to Mill Creek. I, I really got hit hard emotionally just after the ceremony, after doing the dance. And it, it was a lot of weight that I felt. It was really heavy for me. I had to take time away from everyone and just take like 15 minutes to myself just to take in what had happened on its own uh, before even intellectually thinking about the purpose of it. it. It brought up a lot of emotion for me. The reason why I was feeling all that, looking back on it, is because it's, we haven't had that ceremony in so long. And so to be a part of that, I think, is huge because it really shows how far we've come since colonization. It's just like when we think about what colonization really stood for, it was the purposeful erasure of Native peoples and, and their cultures. So to be able to bring that ceremony back is kind of like the ultimate resistance against that. It's just like, you, you know, it may have taken 200 years, but to be able to come back, I mean, even after that amount of time, and say, no, we're still here, and we're going to practice our ceremony. So the salmon ceremony took place in November, this past November 2021. The day in itself, the tribal members had to, to travel. So, so the day of, it really is like all the tribal members arriving to the Santa Cruz area, arriving to the site where we were going to have the salmon ceremony, taking the time to be in community, and then taking the time to have ceremony. So when I say, oh, I've been learning about this from an academic lens, or I've been talking about these things, it was very much like, I knew the importance of ceremony. I knew the importance of tribal members coming together to, you know, 
pray for or, you know, seek guidance from creator. We would pray to our ancestors. And so I knew like the importance of having a ceremony and how we were able, like how that was our way of connecting to our ancestors, connecting to creator and basically praying for the well-being. So whether that meant the land, the water, praying for the salmon. And so when I learned that we were going to have a salmon ceremony, then I was like, I still get emotional, but like, it just to me was like, okay, like I've been thinking about this. I've been talking about this and now I'm actually going to do it. This work, it is connected to our spirituality and to our, um, you know, our responsibility to take care of our land and everything. And so it just felt like, an amazing feeling. Like, I know I'm crying, but it's like, I'm, it's not tears of sadness. It's like tears of like happiness because I feel connected to my ancestors, to my community, and also to like the salmon. And so I participated in the ceremony. I danced. That was my first time dancing. And that was my first time participating in any type of ceremony like that. So for me, it was like a new beginning and to basically practice my cultural traditions but at the same time to pray for the salmon and to basically just pray for everything that I'm doing. <laughs> that makes sense because like, I, you know, I'm doing, I have a, I'm doing like, I'm asserting and talking about certain things when it's like, Oh, researchers need to do this. And the institution needs to do that. But at the same time, like I'm still like in my own path and my own journey, connecting and upholding my own like sacred responsibility. I just like, I'm just get emotional when I um, open up with my, and talk about my spirituality. And at the end of the day, it was an amazing experience. I think it was even more amazing. And I get more emotional because I know that, I know that the ceremony hadn't happened since like colonization, since contact with Europeans. And so, to know that um, I was a part of this group, this, you know, this circle, this ceremony, to basically be a part of this ceremony just made me feel, like, honored. It made me feel, like, honored, and, like, like, it was a great honor to be there, to represent my community, to engage in ceremony, but it was also, like, a blessing it was the, the first salmon ceremony that they've had since the European colonists came, which is like incredible to be able to witness that. And it's like an incredible honor to be invited to that. So it, it really motivates me to um, keep working with them and, and do this kind of science because it's impactful. It helps these tribes um, be in connection with their environments the way they used to be um, and build even stronger connections as uh, people. And I feel like that's something that scientists shouldn't just look over, but should incorporate into their work more often. It felt beautiful to be there and to like pray for my community and for our future, but also like praying for the salmon. And I felt like the ceremony was just amazing because it was, yes, we were called there to have ceremony to pray for the health of the salmon, but yet we were also praying for like our future and the health of the tribe. And like, and by that, I mean like our survival, our well-being. This is already embedded in our teachings. 
drawing from the intellectual traditions of all my ancestors, all my relatives who have thought of these things before me. These aren't my ideas, it's just something that makes sense. So I want to be able to share that with non-native peoples and also help my community at the same time. Water is a relative. It's a living thing. And you know, often the United States treats it as a commodity, something that's not has life, but water does have life because it gives us life. You've been listening to Challenging Colonialism. The voices in this episode's closing part were Caroline Rodriguez, Amamutsin, Elijah Catalan, Mike Grone, Josh Thunder Little, Oglala Lakota, and Stephen Pratt, Amamutsin. All interviews were conducted and recorded by Martin Rizzo Martinez. Audio engineering and editing by myself, Daniel Stonebloom. Music was written and performed by G. Gonzalez. The sounds of Mill Creek flowing after the dam removal were recorded and shared by Carolyn Rodriguez. Challenging Colonialism is produced with support from the California State Parks Foundation. Check back for episode four, where we'll illuminate the legacy of Indian boarding schools in California. On a final note, the podcast is now available on many more platforms and podcast directories. Please share widely and consider leaving a review or rating of this podcast on your preferred streaming service.